Hello, everyone, and welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition. We're glad you're able to join us today on this beautiful Tuesday afternoon. Um, I'm Drew DeGrotto, your host. Glad you're able to join us. If you're coming in on the uh, Zoom app, uh, please use the Q&A button or the chat window and text us your questions and comments and feedback. We'd love to hear from you during the program. Um, if you're coming in on the Facebook page, same thing there. You just uh, put your comments in the text window. I always say this. I just want to remind everybody the Facebook uh, feed is usually about 15 or so seconds behind the live feed on, on the Zoom app. But we're glad you're joining us through any and every uh, channel that's available. Let me bring in the panelists. Uh, our program director is uh, Scott Smeltzer. How are you doing, Scott? All right, Drew, how about you? I'm doing good, but I'm a little jealous because before we started the show, you said you've already got spring happening down there. We're still cold up here in Dunmore, Pennsylvania. That's what you get for being a Yankee Yankee. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, me. And also with us is Jonathan, Jet Sadler. How you doing, Jonathan? You're also down there in the Gettysburg area. Yep, doing really good. Good to see you guys. It's probably about a mile and a half from the Mason-Dixon line. Yeah. yeah yeah well that's further south yet then right super close yeah, yeah. almost southern uh, well you know i was living in new jersey most of my life i moved out here about five years ago and i didn't realize that, that the southern portion of new jersey is south of the mason dixon lot mason dixon lot i didn't know that until just uh, a few years ago i don't know what that man means but <laughs> they're south because that's why we always called it south jersey it was a little state well guys Glad to have you here. Um, we left off last week with some um, some blessings. Um, I think we're going to continue with blessings. It's been a blessed day, but I think we're going to talk about more of the blessings and the Beatitudes. Is that right? Uh, uh, before we go any further, though, Scott, your your audio, I don't know if it, it sounded all right to me, but one someone in the audience just said you had difficulty hearing you. Yeah, I just dropped him a note. I'll try to speak up a little bit, see if that corrects it. CJ, let me know if that uh helped out yeah it looks good i mean here's good now to me but we'll see how it how it sounds to the audience yeah if anybody has a problem in the audience of, of audio or video sometimes it's just the internet connection you know the technical things and then sometimes it could be one of us has a different setting too low or whatever but glad you're able to join us so scott what are we doing today where are we going we, well we started uh, last week we were not uh, on and but the week before that we started the beatitudes and so that's where we're going to continue and last time we did the first three so one of you guys uh oh <laughs> there cj said sorry my volume wasn't up all the way <laughs> we all do that cj okay i'm messing with you all right here we go matthew chapter three uh, excuse me, Matthew chapter five. If one of you would read the next beatitude and then start uh, commenting on it. Okay, blessed are those who are, I'm sorry, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Normally, we're, it's natural to be hungering for food and beverage, because that's what we do from the day we're born. But this takes a little different um, effort. This is a different hungering. It's not for physical um, things. It's for spiritual things, right? I mean, we're talking about righteousness. 
And where do we get then satisfied? The Lord doesn't say it clearly here um, in this particular verse, but all right, so let's say someone is hungering. First of all, where do they get satisfied? Scott? Well, <laughs> it answers in what, maybe rather than where. In what will they be satisfied if they are seeking righteousness? Gotcha. And Drew's posed that question, so let's, let's explore that. How do you find, I know how to find a piece of ham, you know, I know how to find a piece of bacon. Where do you look for righteousness and what does it mean to seek righteousness? That's probably a good place as well to start. Jonathan? Yeah, so, well, righteousness just means like the right thing, doing what's right. Uh, and so you find that obviously in God's word. But I think what's interesting uh, about seeking righteousness, um, that, that's, a, um, I don't know, an interesting way of putting it for me whenever you think about it. Um, usually you think like someone, you know, does righteousness or is involved in righteousness, but seeking righteousness is a little bit different, uh, I think. And it reminds me of kind of uh, an opposite of what a lot of the world is seeking. Um, yeah. And it shows up actually in, in the, uh, I think, for at least seeking for satisfaction, it shows up in the scriptures and the book of Ecclesiastes, where you've got Solomon that kind of goes through and he's seeking satisfaction right. in a lot of different things, seeking satisfaction in uh, success or in uh, material gain and wealth or in just pleasure and a bunch of different things that he's seeking satisfaction in. Yet yeah, all of those. Does he find it filling? Yeah, with all of those things, the common phrase that keeps showing up in Ecclesiastes is, and I found out it was vanity, <laughs> vanity of vanities or emptiness is what it all was. So pleasure in life, uh, even success, even some things that you would think, yeah, those would be good things to devote your life to, like, you know, trying to, you know, boost your your family business or, or whatever. Um, but at the end of it all, they weren't truly satisfying and lasting. And the question uh, that pops up in my head is why, why weren't even those good things satisfying? And it's because they're all temporary. And that's what I think seeking righteousness later on in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter six uh, yeah. or chapter seven, Jesus will say, you need to lay up treasure in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy, thieves don't break in and steal, but right. you know, that's going to last for forever. And the things that we do building up our, our spirituality and our righteousness and our character and things like that promote lasting things that go beyond this life. And that, I think, is what makes it satisfying. Because even when you're thinking about just food, what, what makes food more satisfying? Like what, what makes you really satisfied? The longer that it lasts for you to be hungry in between like different foods. So you can have like really light foods. Like if I'm hungry and I go and eat a bowl of cereal, I'm going to be hungry again in probably about 30 minutes. It's not going to satisfy me for very long. But if I go and eat a steak dinner that has more substance to it, and I'm going to be satisfied for a longer amount of time. And there's more substance and lasting value to righteousness and spirituality than there is to other things in, the, in this world. Yeah. And one of the verses I like in Ecclesiastes says, he that loves gold won't be satisfied with gold nor he that loves silver with increase. There's something where it, it you, you get it. Uh, and there, there's a psychological effect there. I think people have written articles and stuff on it. 
you're more excited about getting it oftentimes. And then once you get it, you're less satisfied with it than you thought you were going to be. Uh, it's a pretty typical thing that happens. But Jesus says, if you seek, blessed those uh, hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. So, and going back to, again, to Drew's question, this seeking righteousness, um, and you mentioned later in the Sermon on the Mount, and CJ mentioned something Sermon on the Mount. Uh, so I want to pose two questions. Where else in the Sermon on the Mount is the word righteousness used? As we're talking about seeking righteousness, what put in what, what's it talking about in the Sermon on the Mount? And there's another thing too. What does Paul say about what righteousness he was seeking for? Though I'm not sure he uses word seeking in Philippians three, which is a little bit different than the use in the Sermon on the Mount. But first, I think Drew has a comment, and then we'll look at those two questions. Drew. Well. I thought you were asking where else is in Jesus used yeah. it in there. And in verse 10, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness yeah. sake. So there's a little clue there. Yeah. Uh, and Eva just typed in Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first. And look, see, there's the seek and the righteousness. See that? Mm -hmm. uh, um, uh, seeking is like hungry and thirsting. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. Very good. And Patrick uh, just typed in verse 20. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will no wise enter in the kingdom of heaven. And do we have another answer coming in from the audience? Oh, what CJ said in Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Let's see if it mentions righteousness. He typed that before I answered the, asked the question. So it might be slightly different. And also, uh, I don't know if did you refer to Matthew 6, 33? Eva had typed that one in. Yeah, that's what we just read oh, okay. a minute ago. And then, um, well, yeah. Oh, yeah. CJ's got here Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask and it shall be given to you seek and you shall find knock and the door will be open unto you and then verse 13 enter in by the narrow gate wide is the gate broad's way that leads to destruction verse 14 narrow is the gate straighten the way that leads to life and few are they that find it so we've got some words here that have to do with the idea of like pursuit and goal seek hunger thirst find that type of thing um, by the way, let me ask this. What does Jesus mean when he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees? What does he mean? Well, they were, he, he always accused them of, of being hypocrites in appearing to do or show what they were doing was good when in reality they were not. And in fact, in chapter six, he uses the word right. It's interesting how many times the word righteousness shows up in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6 begins with what warning? Don't do things to let your righteousness be seen of men. Yeah. Take heed that you do not do your righteousness before men to be seen of them. Because if that's your purpose, God doesn't appreciate that at all. And that's your reward. Yeah, yeah. Somebody said, if you blew the trumpet before you gave the poor guys some, you know, money, uh, then that's 
that's all you got. Other people saw you. God didn't appreciate that. Mm -hmm. um, and the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, and you can see it in Matthew 5, but it's really described well in Matthew 23. It was like the cleanness of the outside of a cup or a whited tomb. What did you say about that? And what did he say about righteousness there? Outwardly, they look good, and uh, but inwardly, they're full of dead man's bones and, and dirt and, and all that. And so their righteousness is superficial. It's, yeah. it's on the surface, but it doesn't penetrate deep. Yeah. So Matthew 23, 28, even so you outwardly appear righteous, but on the inside, you're not. And so theirs was, Jonathan used the word superficial. Our righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees. It can't be, it can't be, you know, some spray paint on the outside. We, we've got to get to the inside. And that's what a lot of the Sermon on the Mount is about. Don't, yeah, yeah, don't kill your neighbor, but also how about don't hate him and, you know, you know, hoping that he's dead. Uh, yeah, don't sleep with your neighbor's wife, but how about also don't be looking on her to covet her and desire her, all that strong. Don't just clean up the outside, clean up the inside. Now, there's another righteousness. Oh, Drew, go ahead. Well, I don't know if you were gonna to go to this, but um, I was thinking of how do I acquire that? The psalmist says, as a deer pants for, uh, Psalm 42, as a deer pants for flowing, flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. For the living God. And then what does Jesus say to the woman at the well? Whoever drinks the water that I will give yeah. will never thirst again. And that just ties in what he's saying here. Yeah. It's going to be satisfying. Be filling. And she thought she was talking, she's talking about a physical water. Oh, give me that. I want to drink all of that because I don't want to come back out to this well anymore. He said, no, you're not understanding it. And, and I suspect she's being pretty sarcastic when she's responding to him. Yes. You are, but yeah, he, he's making points. And those are, those are really solid points about this idea of thirsting, craving. And I want, to, I want us to explore that some more. But there's one other thing on righteousness before we leave that I want to touch on and then talk more about this thirsting and hungry. There's another description of righteousness that we all need described in Philippians 3. Mm -hmm. So, you know, our righteousness in praying and helping the poor and stuff, that should be towards God, not to show off towards other people. Uh, it, it should be a in clean the inside, not just the outside. Um, we need to seek our righteousness. But there's a, another way in which we need righteousness that we can't do. And what is the, and it has to do with being made right. What does Paul say in Philippians three? In Philippians three, he's discussing. Um, I think this is what you're referring to anyway. So you can stop me if it's not. But he's discussing his transition from Judaism to Christianity and how he counted everything as loss. Uh, and so in verse eight, he says, "Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord." For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. And then in verse nine, he says, to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. 
Um, and so he kind of explores that idea a little bit more in one of the letters that he writes in, in to the Romans. In Romans chapter 1, he says in verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. And then in verse 17, he says, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. And yes. that righteousness that's revealed is God making us right. Yeah. Um, making us right through Christ, through the blood of Jesus Christ. And you can see that really clearly when you go further into, into Romans. In Romans chapter 10. Um, Paul in the first few verses of Romans chapter 10 is talking about the Jewish people and he makes the statement I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher it if I don't turn over there and and read it trying to quote it from memory in Romans chapter 10 and verse 1 he says brothers my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved talking about the Jews he says for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge for being ignorant of the righteousness of God, they and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Yes. yes. So we need to live holy and righteous lives, but because we've sinned against God and stand condemned, we need to be made right. We need our sins taken away so that we can be right with God. And then hunger and thirst and walk and, and seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. But there's a guilt problem also where, where we need to just be made right. And it's not based on that we were right. It's based on that Jesus, you know, died for us so that we can be made right. Eva just wrote second Corinthians five twenty one came to mind for me. So Jesus, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. And, and he's the one that there dies for us on the cross for our sins. And so that passage there in Philippians, where Paul said, this righteousness, it's not his own righteousness, it's the righteousness that comes from God through faith. Righteousness in Romans, I think this is interesting, we're not going to go into it in detail. Sometimes righteousness of God in Romans means God being righteous. Sometimes righteousness of God in Romans means he the the offer from him to make us right mm -hmm. and it comes from him and that's the righteousness of god so listen to this also in romans 3 where it said work by works of law nobody's going to be justified because through the law comes the knowledge of sin but now apart from the law a righteousness of god and this one i'm going to argue is not talking about oh god happens to be a righteous being Yes, but that's not what this is talking about. I believe this is talking about a righteous, like Paul said, he wants righteousness, not his own, but one that comes through faith in Christ to him being made right with God. That's what Paul's talking about in this part of Romans 3. Later, there's a different one we don't have time to get into. But in verse 21, now apart from the law, a righteousness of God has been made known, being witnessed in the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ unto those that believe. So this is a righteousness that goes from God to those that believe. How? Because they're freely justified by grace through the redemption in Christ Jesus. So that's another thing we need to seek the Lord who offers that being made right. Jonathan. Yeah, and Lori um, also mentioned in Romans 5.21, there's another example of, of God's righteousness, that the righteousness that comes from God. 
where it says that uh, so that sin, it reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus our Lord. And so you see that over and over throughout Romans, like you were saying. CJ also mentioned in Ephesians chapter 2, the idea shows up of that where in Christ's death, his, his blood and his sacrifice, the blood of his cross, broke down that dividing wall of hostility and allowed us to be reconciled back to God and, and obtain that righteousness to have a relationship with him again. Um, so that's a, another good reference of seeing that. Very good. So for the person outside of Christ, they need to seek being made right with God through Christ. And then having come to Christ, we also need to be in doing that and following after that, seeking to live righteously. And I suspect that's kind of the focus of the Sermon on the Mount, because notice the references we have. Hunger and thirst after righteousness, you're, you'll find it filling. Uh, have a different righteousness than the Pharisees, whose was superficial. Um, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And to show that the righteousness we need doesn't end with, oh, Jesus paid for my sins. I'm done now. I can go live unrighteously. Let's look at Titus 2. Uh, so Titus chapter 2, verse 11. I love this section of Titus. This is Titus 2, 11 through 3 is just, man, it's, it's like condensed gospel fundamentals. Mm -hmm. Verse 11. For the grace of God appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to the uh, intent, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, that we should live soberly and righteously. Okay. Mine says upright. Is that righteousness there? Okay, mine says righteously, but okay. the same idea. Live righteously and godly in this present world. Uh, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of glory and uh, of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, purify unto himself a people for his own possession, zealous of good works. So now let's move from that righteousness idea. And now we need to live righteously uh, and not the superficial false righteousness and self-righteousness of the Pharisees. So let's come back to that hungry and thirsting. Drew already made a good point back there from the Psalms. Where are some, where are some other biblical texts that come to mind or some practical illustrations uh, that you guys or anybody in your audience wants to share about this idea of hungering for it, thirsting for it? I don't know about uh, hungering or thirsting for it. Um, well, I've got uh, another one, but I'll just mention what was on my mind, what I've been thinking of. In a lot of ways, I think we'll discuss this maybe a little more throughout the Beatitudes, but um, James, the letter that, that James wrote really echoes a lot of the Sermon on the Mount and what it says. And this that I'm thinking of here doesn't use the word righteousness or hunger or thirsting for righteousness, but I think it kind of outlines the process of how that happens. In James chapter four, in verse seven, he says, submit yourselves therefore to God resist the devil and he will flee from you and then he says in verse eight draw near to god and he will draw near to you cleanse your hands you sinners and purify your hearts you double-minded be wretched and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom humble yourselves therefore before the lord and he will exalt you so that's their how the seeking process happens 
submitting ourselves to God. And there are a lot of ways that scripture brings that up. But like Jesus will say in Luke chapter nine, if you want to come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. That's the submitting and drawing near to God to obtain that righteousness. Um, at yeah. the cross. Stay mentioned in James 4, staying right there in James 4, mm-hmm. um, you, you mentioned there are so many echoes in the Sermon on the Mount, and particularly the Beatitudes in James. There's two real vivid ones right there in the section that you just read. So verse 8 mm-hmm. said, do what? Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Purify your hearts. What's one of the Beatitudes? Blessed are the pure, pure in heart. In heart. Uh, and then what's verse nine say? Be wretched and mourn and weep. Blessed are those who mourn. And mine says, let your laughter be turned to mourning. Blessed are those who mourn. And, and look at the last verse of chapter three, right before chapter four. Uh, in uh, verse, 18. verse 17 or 18. Verse 18. Uh, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in a pe- in peace by those who make peace. Or the peacemakers. Make peace, yeah. Blessed are the peacemakers. It's all over the place here. Um, and there's also the negative or the opposite lifestyle from seeking righteousness seen in chapter 4, verse 3, which I, I think is a uh, bounces also off Matthew 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, asking it shall be given to you. Because he's saying here, you did ask, but you didn't receive because you're asking for your lessons. We got some good comments coming in. Let's take a few of those. Yeah. Um, Back to your question that you asked. Um, this is what CJ put. You asked, well, what are some other places that talk about the hungering and thirsting for righteousness and that idea? Uh, in Matthew chapter four, the chapter right before the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is tempted. And in one of his temptations, uh, he's tempted to turn stones into bread. And he quotes from scripture when uh, Satan does that to him. And he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Yeah. Um, so that's a, that's a good one. Thanks for bringing that, that up, CJ. And here, here's a bunch of comments coming in. Uh, CJ also says that was referring to ask, seek, knock in Matthew 23, what are the Pharisees from Patrick? Uh, that's not much of a challenge to be more righteous than Adolf Hitler or the hypocritical Pharisees, duh. So verse 20 is talking about the non-hypocritical Pharisees like Paul and Nicodemus. This is borne out by verses 21 through 48. Um, and I think he's referring there. Uh, uh, back to the, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees. Yeah. Uh, but I think there's a connection between that because when you look at 21 through 48, notice Jesus doesn't, he doesn't introduce most of them. It is written. He introduces it. You've heard that it was said. You've heard that it was said. So they've been hearing from the Pharisees, uh, don't kill anybody. Don't commit adultery. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. And Jesus takes it farther. And Moses had taken it farther. Like, don't covet your neighbor's wife. That was in the law of Moses. Uh, Don't hate your neighbor in your heart. That was in the law of Moses. And Jesus goes to the internal part. And the Pharisees so often were too external. Um, uh, Also, CJ wrote in Ephesians 2, he broke down the middle wall through the blood across, right? Uh, Lori B. writes, Romans 5.21, another 
uh, righteousness from God example. Right now, I can't remember what 521 says. That's, that's in the Adam uh, Christ parallel. What is, can somebody read that verse for us? I don't remember the exact wording of it. Yeah, we did that. Uh, it said, uh, as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, and, uh, and then here's another one from Laura B. 2 Timothy 2.22 is a good companion passage to Jonathan's scriptures, uh, which is... is, second, is that, second, yeah, Second uh, Timothy. Uh, so flee youthful passage and pursue righteousness. Okay, all right, very good, very good. Uh, yeah, very good. All right, um, so what are some practical ways to what our appetite? Because it says hunger and thirst after righteousness. Um, let's say that you got a room full of four-year-olds and you want to teach them nutrition, okay? Uh, if you just let four-year-olds eat anything they want to eat, what's their diet likely going to consist of? Oreos. Chicken nuggets. M&Ms. Cupcakes. <laughs> the good stuff, the good stuff. Yeah. Uh, if we let four-year-olds eat anything they want to eat and don't teach them to eat anything that's good for them what will those four-year-olds later look like oh the, the health is going to go right out the window overweight yeah, look obese. Like they've been living on oreos and and, and nuggets and and, yeah. and and ice cream so what do we do with four-year-olds we encourage them to eat nutritional healthy food do they always like it not all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan, it won't be too long until Ray, you'll sit there and you'll try to put a bit, spit some mood in his mouth and go, he'll <laughs> be spitting it out and you, you're going to have to do some training there. Um, and let's face it, a person in the world, do they find the things of the world to be tasty? Yeah, well, yeah we all did, right? At one time. Yeah. And does righteousness always look all that satisfying? It's like the Brussels sprouts. <laughs> so how do you learn to hunger and thirst after the good things? Because, you know, if, if, I, if I say, if I'm trying, I am trying to lose weight. If I'm trying to lose weight, you know, I... I force myself to eat some nasty health thing while I'm craving, craving, you know, a, a, a double bacon cheeseburger or something, I'm probably not going to have as much success as if I learn to actually crave healthy food. How do you, how do you learn to hunger and thirst after righteousness? Usually if I'm not enjoying the um, vegetables that someone had put on the table, I'll salt it down and make it taste a little better. All right. How does that work for hungry and thirsting after righteousness? Well, it will make me thirsty after I eat. <laughs> the extra salt. I don't know, Scott, where are you going? What's, what, how, what's the solution? Well, Jesus is the one that gives the analogy. He says, hunger and thirst after rises. And Jesus knew what it was like to be hungry. What did he do in chapter four? That book, Jonathan. Uh, Lori Biesecker 
put in, or uh, sorry, not Lori, I'm reading the wrong one. CJ said uh, Philippians 4, verse 8, um, where he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Um, and then in verse nine, he goes on to say, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Um, sometimes in, in your analogy, sometimes it isn't as tasty to do the righteous things, but it'll ultimately be better for you. And you'll experience the satisfaction and then develop a taste for it later. Yeah. Um, so like I said, um, like it's like kind of like the Brussels sprouts. I used to really, really not like Brussels sprouts, but um Brussels sprouts are maybe one of my favorite green foods to, to eat now because I've eaten a lot of Brussels sprouts and forced myself to eat Brussels sprouts, and now I kind of have a taste for it. So you acquired you acquired a, a taste yeah. flavor. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, and so spending our time thinking about it and and maybe sometimes forcing ourselves to practice it can yeah. be beneficial. It kind of reminds me of what Jesus says in Matthew chapter twelve, where he gives the the story about the man who had the unclean spirit, and the unclean spirit left, and he you know went around floating in in all kinds of different places, and he came back and found the man swept and clean and in order and empty he hadn't been filled with good things and so the unclean spirit brings back a bunch of his friends uh, to come and do that if we just get the bad things out but we're not filling it with good things we're never going to acquire the the taste for the good things and it's never gonna you know kind of yeah. build on itself and grow so we've, we've got some more comments and right after them jonathan i'd like you to tie in this you used to work for a little while as a trainer right mm -hmm. and so if you ever dealt with somebody when you were training them and they were having to learn to deal with their cravings and change their cravings, I want to ask what you might've done with them and how those principles can help. And you, you've already talked about that some, but just with that training background, I think that might be interesting, but first let's read these. Uh, Laura B says Colossians 128 shows two ways to become a perfect man, which include righteousness, warning every man and teaching every man learning what to run from and what to do that's good it's like in ephesians also put off the old and put on the new and like you said with them we need to both know why you're putting off the, the old value why you're putting on the new all right eva says i'm thinking pay attention to the fact that you are not filled know that hungering after righteousness will result in you being filled acknowledge your lack of satisfaction and go for God's righteousness. That's Very cool. Good. Very good. All right, Jonathan, any comments along that line of, well, back when you were working as a trainer? Yeah. One thing comes to mind um, that kind of relates um, the people that I think had the most success whenever I was personal training, the ones that had the most success of meeting their goals were the ones that in our first meeting, whenever I would ask them, you know, what's your goal or why, why do you want to achieve this goal that they have thought about it and, and had an answer ready. It wasn't just, well, uh, it, it wasn't a superficial thing. It was something that was deeper. It wasn't just, well, you know, I figure it might be good for me to lose a few pounds, but there was a deeper reason of, you know, I, I want to be happier. I want to be, you know, uh, more capable and physically able to do the things that I want so I can play with my grandkids or, or things like that. They had a deeper reason of why they wanted to commit to that. And I think that that type of principle applies back to hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And it really ties into kind of what Eva said about not realizing that you're filled to hunger and thirst for righteousness and develop that, that, that need for righteousness 
is really kind of seated in the fact that we need to realize that that's what we need in order to get what we ultimately want. Um, if, if you look at all of the things that the world gets involved in and that they hunger and thirst for, what those lead to, like what Paul says in Romans chapter six, the wages of sin are death. So if you keep going through trying to satisfy yourself and fill yourself with things in the world, what you're going to earn yourself and the path that you're on is death, like what Jesus says later on in Matthew chapter seven. And that's not going to get you to the goal that you ultimately want. Whereas after that, in Romans six, he says, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's what, that's what we want. That's what our end goal is. And so keeping our minds on our end goal, help us to develop that hunger and feed that hunger in the right way. Yeah. And, and, and develop that attitude after first Peter two echoing off of Psalm 34. If you have tasted that the Lord is good, et cetera, et cetera. All right. Look at this here in Romans 12, nine abhor that which is evil cleave to that which is good i can't remember i want to check just a second and see what it says about that word abhor i've heard something about that word but i don't i hadn't looked it up to dislike abhor have a horror of uh so think of some things that you wouldn't want to eat okay there's, there's been some roadkill laying down here in the road the last few days. Uh, it's not in front of my house or I would have scooped it up, but it's, it's down uh, the roadways. It's, I'm not sure what kind of animal it was. You can tell there's some fur or something, but it, it doesn't look tasty to me. You know, if you scoop that up on my plate, I would abhor that. Um, the problem here. It, there, there's a challenge here in Romans 12, 9. I want everybody to think about this. How easy would life be if all of us always abhorred evil and always cleaved to good? Mm-hmm. Don't make life really easy, right? Yeah. All right. So, and we're told here, abhor what is evil, cleave to that which is good. If I am going through the motions of righteousness, but I abhor righteousness, it's going to be kind of like Malachi 1, right? Mm-hmm. Are they going to the temple? Are they offering sacrifices? But what's their attitude? Oh, what a weariness it is. And what does God say? I wish you would just close the gates. Yeah, yeah. Um, so abhor what is evil. The more we can incorporate abhorring the evil and cleaving to what is good, then the more we will hunger and thirst after the good things and not after the bad. What are some things that will help us abhor the evil things? So let's start with the physical analogy. If I've been eating foods that are killing me, what will help me to abhor those foods? Um, maybe looking at pictures of people down the road uh, that are eating your same kind of diet and the pitiful situation that they've found themselves in. Yeah. Yeah. Realizing what that does to you, seeing the end result and focusing on that and looking at it and say, is that where I want to be? Maybe looking at some photographs of clogged arteries 
you know, maybe looking and say, oh, oh, that's, I don't want that. Because now if I look the, the um, I, I knew a lady some years ago and she was very, very, very heavy. And she went on a diet, she was losing weight and she'd been eating very healthy for a while. And one day she decided to go through a fast window, you know, uh, drive through window and get one of those, you know, kind of greasy uh, cheeseburgers. And she said she tasted it and it almost made her sick. You know, used to, that's something she would have craved, but now it doesn't. If when you look at it, you see where it's going to lead you, right? Like in Proverbs 5, the adulteress, the strange woman trying to lead you away. It says, well, don't, don't go near her door. Mm-hmm. Where does the path lead? Proverbs 7, it leads to death. Don't go, don't look at this part and not realize where it's going. So the more we will look at where unrighteousness takes us, guess what? The more we will abhor it. And so now cleaving to that, which is good. You say, how do you cleave to that, which is good? Yeah, and what will help us increase that? So I, I talked a little bit there about what will help us more have a distaste for unrighteousness. I want to hear from you guys a little bit more on what will help us, you know, and you've already said it some, so maybe I'm beating a dead horse here. But any more practical tips on what will increase our appetite for righteousness? Yeah, well, I think it's basically the opposite of, uh, well, not really the opposite, same principle of look where it will lead you. Um, look at, look at the better, easier, more, you know, fulfilling life you'll have after pursuing righteousness. Um, and that I think is really summed up th- those two ideas are, are summed up really well by what Lori quoted from Ephesians chapter five to walk circumspectly, um, walk circumspe- circumspectly means it's a phrase, which means to look around and uh, a thing to see what's on the other side. And she said, when we are walking circumspectly, we're walking not as fools, but as wise. And that summarizes both of them. Look, look at the direction that you're going in. Look all around it and see where is this taking me? Um, and that will develop or help develop a, a better uh, appetite yeah. for righteousness. Yeah. Very good. And lastly... Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Filled. And as Jonathan brought up at the beginning, Solomon was looking at a whole bunch of other things and found them vain and empty, unsatisfying. Yeah. Unfilling. Mm-hmm. Final comments, anybody? Um, there are two comments in from, uh, Sandra. She said, getting filled is not passive. We are told to be, we are told to pursue, to pursue righteousness or seek after righteousness. Uh, and then also our true love of God should lead us away from whatever is not pleasing to God. Um, and I think that's, that's true. The, the love that we have for God, because God has done so much for us. That's a big principle, I think in the scriptures and kind of a natural course that you see a lot of the letters kind of follow where it talks about in the first part of the letters that Paul writes, all that God has done for us. 
And he says, therefore, based on the mercies of God, you present your bodies as living sacrifices. You walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So what God has done for us motivates us to do what God wants us to do. And CJ also writes uh, uh, regular Bible study. Um, that's something that will help us increase an, an appetite bar. And back to the training thing, you know, when you get going to the gym and you keep doing it regularly, guess what you begin to enjoy? You're enjoying it. Um, Eva says, amazing how unhealthy foods tend to make us feel more hunger. Whole foods tend to make us feel satisfied. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. You know, I think it looks like we've had about 20 comments today. Really, thank you, audience, for all the participation and good comments. A lot of good stuff. So, uh, I should have brought this up earlier, but back to another uh, Old Testament scripture, Isaiah 55, one says, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and he who has no money, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which is not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good the whole food and delight yourselves in rich food or whole food, right? Oh, that's excellent. And what was that passage again, Drew? Isaiah? Isaiah 55 verses one through two. Oh, that's excellent. I think it goes further in verse three, explaining how you do it. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. And I think that's like what the CJ was saying. Study the Bible, hear the word, grow in it. Jonathan, I think our time is up. All right. Well, thank you guys. And thank you, like Scott said, to our audience um, for all of your comments and participation uh, in our discussion today. Um, and if you all have any other uh, questions uh, about that beatitude or any of the other beatitudes, uh, I think we're gonna, our plan is to keep moving through that text and uh, talking about them uh, each week. But if you have any questions unrelated to that, you can submit those to us at BibleQuest.org. And we'll be happy to talk about those on our future shows. Um, but that's all we have for this week. So we'll see you all next week, Lord willing.